Morning church, go on and have a seat, get comfortable. We're going to be here for a long time. My name's Chad, and I uh, get to work with the next generation here at the church. And um, when I say this, I really mean it. This is such a blessing to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I don't take it lightly by any means. And um, I, I pr- pray that our time together, we will uh, study God's word and our hearts will be open that we will be doers, not just hearers. You know, life is absolutely full of haters. Maybe you know a hater. Maybe you're sitting next to a hater. (laughs) Be careful here. But it it doesn't take long for us to figure out in life, whenever we choose a side, there's an opposite side, and that there are going to be haters on the other side. And, And, you know, we can take sports, you know. Are you uh Arizona, we're an ASU fan, which one do you go? You know whenever you choose that one, you've got people on the other side. Politics, you know, we have Republican and Democrat. You know there are haters on both sides. And, you know, when we choose a side, we're basically saying, okay, I am willing to get behind this enough that I might get some flack for it, but that's okay. You know, even little things can bring division. 2020 has taught us so much. 2020, we've learned the value of toilet paper. (laughs) When you hear stories about people getting fights uh, uh, over toilet paper, pulling it out of carts. But there's there's something big about toilet paper that, that, that it bothers me. It might bother you, but toilet paper, when it gets placed on the roll, there is a set way that it should be placed that it the toilet paper the paper should go over and down on the front side not on the back i got an amen do do we have a picture of uh, the sign that i recently saw beards are cool mullets are bad so i know there's haters but this is a big deal to some of us When, when we look at when we look at uh, following Jesus, in all seriousness, we know, we know that the world's got some haters against Christ, and, and we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus' followers know that uh, this world's not home, you know, that we're just um, resident aliens here, you know, we're not, this isn't our permanent place, and so we, we don't get caught up in everything like, like other people. And because we're following Jesus, we know that Jesus said, you know, that a student would be like his teacher, that Jesus says, you know, the world hate me, they're going to hate you as well. It's, it's, it's part of following Christ or following anything that there's haters and opposition on the other side. And, the, and so when it comes to following Christ, we're not taken back by this. We're not surprised by this. We know that, that, that God's going to do something and deliver and lead through all of it. So even though we have haters, we, we can push it to the side. But you realize we're not the first people to follow Jesus. We're not the first ones to have to deal with outsiders, to have to deal with haters. In fact, we go back to the early church and we could see 1 Peter chapter 3, if you have a Bible with you. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13, says, Now who is there to harm you 
if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You notice in verse 13, Peter starts with a rhetorical question. You know, who's going to harm you if you're zealous to do good? If you're all about doing good things, where are the haters? You know, this is where we see, you know, the church and the world can be on the same page at times, where we all want to see good things done. And being a Jesus follower, the first thing we've got to remember is that we were designed to do good. That's the way God made us. You go back to the garden when God made Adam and Eve, and, uh, you know, he says everything's good. They were designed to be good. They were designed to do good, to take care of the garden. But everything changed when sin entered the picture. That's everything changed. But, but yet, at the same time, we still have that same design, that design to do good. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see that? How big that is. For we are his workmanship. We are God's, the, the, the word here is poemia, where we get the word poem. We are his, his workmanship, but we're his masterpiece that he is doing and working in us, through us, on us, to make us more like him. And that when we, when we look at this, is, we're his workmanship that has been, is planned for us to do good works. That's been his plan, set in motion before we were, were even here. That was what God's plan for all who follow Christ, to do good works. Do you realize that? I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror. I don't know if you're like me and that, you know, the double crown and antennas that stick up in the back, I just say that's as good as it gets and go, you know, I kind of give up. God's not like that. He doesn't give up on us. We are his workmanship. He is faithful and will continue doing the work that he has purposed. And so, so when you think about it, we are his workmanship. Isn't that kind of mind-blowing? We don't feel like we're special or any big deal. But yet, God of the universe is spending time working on us. You're a piece of work. I'm a piece of work. Look to the person on your, on your right and say, you're a piece of work. <laughs> Look to the person on the other side and say, you're a real piece of work. <laughs> yeah. Now, now stop creeping them out, all right? Look up here. That we are his 
workmanship, created to do good works. That has been his plan. And so when we look at, you know, how many hospitals and charities and um, uh, benevolent organizations have been started because of Christians, it's, it's astounding. It's truly amazing in that even, even people that don't agree with following Christ would say, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, we can't lose sight that no matter what haters we face, no matter what hostility collides with our holiness, we know that God is able to keep continuing to work in us and through us. He doesn't stop. And that's what is so amazing when we talk about the, the um, fruit of the Spirit that Paul refers to in Galatians. We know that um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these good qualities that everybody would say is good. Everybody would say, yeah, we want to see that. See, but for the Christian, we believe that the Holy Spirit produces that in us, that it's not me just trying to be more loving as Chad, but it is praying, open, receiving, having his spirit lead me to love as he loves, to follow his example. And when we when we look at that fruit, I, I love this. In Galatians 5, after Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, what someone who's following Jesus, their life will be marked by these qualities, these characteristics. And he says, listen, against these things, there's no law. Meaning, there is no law opposed to the fruit of a Christian. That even in an evil, evil emperor, uh, in the reign when Paul wrote that letter in the Roman Empire, even under such an evil ruler, there wasn't a law against bearing fruit for Jesus. Do you see that? That when, when we look at what, what Christ has done in our lives, and we can't help but overflow with these good qualities, these fruits of the Spirit, that, that, that nobody's against that. There's no law against these things. And, and in a time when you think that, that the laws were different, you know, we're on 2,000 years ago on a completely different cult, continent and a different culture. I mean, a time where women were viewed as property. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's this elevation coming from God's word where, hey, church, listen, there's no difference between male or female in regards to salvation. And this would have been earth-shattering, or it would have, it would have rocked their world to, to, to see this elevation coming, that, that God has designed us to do good. And, and, and when we do good, we know, we know that, that, that God's being honored through it. And most of the time, most of the time, people would say, yeah, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. But what about the times when there are haters? Verse 14, did you catch what Peter says? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Here's good news. Do you realize you are going to be blessed? That if your life and your faith journey is just smooth sailing, everybody's cheerleader for you, everybody's encouraging you, you can't get enough support, you're, 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 or you can't imagine having more support, and, and you think, wow, 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 you know, this is so good. Well, guess what? You're blessed. But what if your faith costs you sometimes? What if you have some haters that, that treat you differently, make fun of you, insult you, do all these uh, horrible things just because you're a Christian? Uh, you will be blessed if you're suffering for righteousness sake. See, it, it, it comes down to why are you suffering? You know, uh, some suffering we bring on ourselves and, and and other suffering is what others do to us that we don't necessarily have control. 
over their response. Uh, but, but what is our response in it? Do we, do we give up or do we dig in and keep going? And, and we want to um, we want to go forward in our faith, but how do we handle the, the haters when there's the hostility that goes with it? I think this would be what God said to his church 2,000 years ago, I think is the same thing, that he would say, it's Galatians 6 if you want to study it. He's saying, listen, don't grow weary in doing good. Listen, you're not, God's not going to be mocked. He sees what's really going on, and we will reap what we sow. There is a harvest coming. But are, you, are we spending our lives praying for crop failure? Or do we want to see the harvest God's going to bring? It, it, it's, it's amazing when we think about what he can do. And, when, and, and that Galatians 6 says not to grow weary in doing good. All right, So all the more we need to say, let's spur one another on. Let, let's, let's encourage one another. Let's pick each other up and keep going. Um, because the haters want to see us destroyed. Haters want to see faith completely eradicated. The enemy, uh, the devil, he, he, he wants to devour, destroy, annihilate us. But we have such a good promise that with him, no weapon formed against us shall stand. Notice at the end of 14, he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15, here's the answer, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. It's um, amazing to me that in that verse, he says, you know, don't worry about them, honor Christ as Lord, as holy. See, when we honor Christ with our hearts, man, it, it changes everything. When we keep the emphasis on him and not other people, not the haters, not even the encouragers, but the emphasis is on him, God will produce a harvest. God will, God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. And so if we're sowing for him, we're going to reap good things. And if not, maybe not things we want. You know, so... So my question right now is, all right, well, how do, how do I know, though, if I'm honoring Christ as, as Lord in my heart, how, how do I know? I, I think this comes down to, do you remember Pastor Ernie's B words? You remember one of them was be his. That's, that's the most important, to be his. We have to get that right if we're going to get anything else right, to be his. So when we honor Christ the Lord is holy in our hearts. We are saying, I am yours. I am giving you control. I want you to run the show, not me anymore. Father, you take, up, take over. Father, you lead me by your spirit. Father, you use me. And when we, when we get there, it's amazing that, that he keeps using us and he keeps showing us. I, I, I want to ask, you know, have you ever heard a testimony that goes like this? 50 years ago, I gave my life to Christ and was baptized. And that's their whole testimony. You know? That's great. I am not picking on anyone who's been a Christian or a Jesus follower for a long time. But I think we've messed up when we think the point is longevity in our faith. That, the goal isn't how long will you be a Christian, but your testimony should be more than just, I gave my life to Christ. So many years ago. Because 
If your testimony is more than a week old, I like what someone said, then, then you're not seeking Christ hard enough. That our testimony is ongoing, that God is always showing and shaping my life. You know, he's always pruning and working to make us more like him. And I doubt any of us would say, we are at perfection. I don't need any more correction. No, that's, that's far from the truth. There's nothing, nothing better than, than when you get your toes stepped on in a loving way that spurs you to do something about it. Makes sense? And so we're not going for longevity in our faith. We want that, but that's the byproduct of maturity. We want maturity in our faith. As we grow in him, we see that we can point others to him. We can lead others in him. We can do things for him that we can't do as immature Christians. We need to, to grow up. You see, if, if, our t- if my testimony is more than a week old, that means I'm too comfortable. I'm too comfortable. You know, as humans, we, we naturally gravitate towards the shallow end of the pool, but, but what grows us most is, is him working even in the challenges, even in the struggle. I would never choose some of the things that has grown my faith the most. We want the safe, we want the comfort, and if that's all we're living for, then we have missed the point of what it means to be his. When, when, when I think about being comfortable and not changing, I think... I am quenching the spirit. I am quenching his voice in my life when I say, no, I'm good. So ask yourself, what is it that I'm not hearing? What is it? What is it that God is wanting to show me and I'm not ready to listen? What is it that God is wanting to teach me? You you know, not... Everything he shows, some is good, some's bad. You know, sometimes when we get in the word, we're comforted by the promises and the hope that we have. But then there's bad times where bad things that he shows where there's places of correction, places where I, I need to change my path. And sometimes those bad are intermixed with good, you know. I need to trust his grace. I need to trust his forgiveness and not put uh, everything on me. I need to understand that that's the only way I can be saved is by him, not by me. Sorry, the water break here. I, I, I guess um, I, I was going to say something, and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> you are too, amen, right? <laughs> All right. So how do we know if he's, he's Lord of our hearts, Lord of our lives? It's, it's dangerous when we look at comparison to measure where we are in our walk with Christ. By comparison, I, I, I mean, have you ever looked at someone and you, you just, you know God loves them because, man, they have their life all together. You know, they're tall, they're good looking, have the perfect spouse and wonderful, well-behaved kids, always so polite and smiling. And, and they've got the perfect place, you know, just everything seems, of course God loves them is what we think. But you see, we got to be careful in comparison Uh, Because God loves each one of us. He wants us to be like Christ, not us to be like them. 
see, if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of comparison and believe, you know, God doesn't really want to work in my life. I'm just going to try to be them. I, I mean, we do this all the time. It, it's, it's even people like, you know, Pastor Ernie. Of course God loves Pastor Ernie. I mean, he's got his act together, right? He's got cool hair. He drives a big truck. He's got a beautiful family. can preach the socks off anyone. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, we look at Pastor Ernie and we, we think, man, of course God loves him. I mean, let, let's, let's just level the playing field. Let's be completely honest. When you saw Ernie wasn't walking out to preach, you went, oh, man. Be honest. I did the same thing. <laughs> I did the same thing, okay? So, but no, we, we see people like him and his energy and enthusiasm and passion for Christ. It's contagious. We want to be like that. Okay, well, I'm not saying we can't be like Pastor Ernie. I'm saying we need to be like Christ. And there's a difference between comparison and an example. For instance, Paul told the Corinthian church, listen, imitate me as I follow Christ, that as I'm pursuing him, you do what I do. You see, that's, that's the example. That's not the standard. It's different when we look to people and we want to be like them. We set them as a standard instead of Christ. God's given each one of us a unique journey. Each one of us is, is designed to do good, but to do good that only you can. You have the influence in those around you that nobody else can have that influence. You know, my... my, my my family, I'm going to be Megan's husband and my boy's dad, and no one else will have that position. At least I hope so, right? <laughs> but, but God's given us each a journey that we are to embrace, that we are to trust him with. When we, when we embrace his, the journey that he's given us, we realize that... Comparison, comparing ourselves to others isn't helpful. If anything, it can just depress us or take our focus off of Christ. That, that when, we, when we strive to lead the example, we're not trying to make people just like us. We're not trying to make people imitate us. We want them to follow Christ. And that's what, you know, hopefully our lives and our lives that we can say, you know, follow my example. That's what we're to do, not the standard. You see, Paul knew, Paul knew Everyone wasn't supposed to be like him. On his missionary journeys, when he went to a town, you know, he didn't expect the church to all pack up and leave with him on the missionary journey to go to the next town. No, he expected them to embrace their faith right where they were and using the influence that God has given them. And when we see it from that picture, how much healthier it is that we're not trying to be like, like Paul. We're trying to be like Jesus. We're not trying to be like Pastor Ernie. We're trying to be like Jesus. You're not trying to be like, like Chad. You're trying to be like Jesus. That, that we, we have to be careful. And when Paul, when, um, I'm sorry, Peter, when Peter talks about if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. We have no fear because in our hearts we are honoring Christ. The Lord is holy. That holy is separate. That holy is, he is unlike anything else. It is counted uh, totally different with sacred uh, respect. But he says, make a defense in verse 15 to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Make a defense. That's a weird way of saying it um, in, the, in, in, in our way. Um, but that, that it comes out 
naturally from a changed life. And when, you know, whatever's on the inside comes out. Out of the flow of the heart is what Jesus said. Your mouth speaks. And so you get a glimpse of someone's heart by the words that they say. But what's inside it has to come out. I, I remember a few years ago, I was on a youth trip where the, um, one, of the, one of the students had X-lax and thought it would be hilarious to X-lax everyone. And so like a good youth leader, I confiscated it. I took it home. I just set it down on the counter. And then that night I'm thinking, man, I am hungry. I would love some chocolate. <laughs> we had nothing. We had nothing in the house except that X-Lax bar. And I took a bite. I'm like, huh, that's not bad. Tastes pretty good. And about this time, my wife walks in. Megan says, Chad, what are you doing? Husbands, you know that? That you know you're doing something dumb, but you're going to do it anyway? After she left, she, she walks out of the room. I ate that entire X-Lax bar. True story. I didn't realize. You see, I didn't have any experience with this. I didn't realize that each little bar on the candy bar or each little block was a, was a dosage, was a serving. So I ended up not just having one dose, but I had the entire bar. Now I'm strong. I'm tough. Megan says, Chad, you're an idiot. That might be true. But look how God's using it for his glory here. When, 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 I, when she walked out, I ate the entire bar. I was fine that night. I was fine. I slept great. The next morning, I woke up and went into the office. And it wasn't so great. <laughs> there, that, I saw the power of, of X-Lax. You know, on the box, it says gentle and dependable. Man, it was dependable, but it was not gentle. It had to come out. See, what's on the inside of us has to come out. Hopefully a good way, all right? That what, what God is putting into us, his spirit is leading how he is shaping and developing, is meant to come out. It's going to come out. It's going to be seen Eventually. So, we need to be intentional about what comes out of us, what we share. And share your hope is what Peter is saying. Share your hope, make a defense. All right? When he says that, that's the word, the Greek word is apologia. It's where we get the word apology from. And so, but that's not the only word we get. It, P, Peter's not saying, listen, you need to apologize to everyone for being a Christian. That's not what Peter is saying at all. Uh, the apologetics also comes from that same word, and that's a, a defense. You know, be ready to share your reason for the hope that you have. Make a defense where, you know, it's hard to argue with a changed life. And a changed life can only happen from God. To be born again, only God can do that. To rewire and make us to where our, we don't just want, I mean, we don't just do the good thing, we want to do the good thing. That's the work of God. 
And so when, when we share our hope, we need to be careful how we do it. Just look at this, verse 15, one more time. Make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But he clarifies, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. I, I think God would say the same thing to us today. Listen, be ready. Be ready to give a reason, to share why your life has changed, why you have so much hope. Be ready. But do it with gentleness and respect. Too often, I believe as Christians, we, we put ourselves in positions that, that don't help the message of Christ at all. That instead of trying to win an argument, the goal is to win a soul. See, if we're, if we're just pushing and pushing to get people to change and be like us, then we are missing God does the work in us. He changes us. And that's the best defense we can ever get, give is what he's done for us and how he has changed us. And so I want to say, share your hope. Share your hope. But don't. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Don't be arrogant and proud. Don't be an obnoxious Christian. Do it with gentleness and respect. You know, the world has some really good questions. And we have to have really good answers. When we, when we follow him and we share our hope, he changes our life. It opens the door to share your hope more. That more people see and more people want to be with you. More people want to know you. That, that, that it has a, a, a contagious effect. But we have to make sure that we don't become proud and say, yes, we have the truth. We have to say, yes, I know the one who is truth. And, and when, we, when, when we live like this, you don't invite persecution on yourself. You don't make yourself a, an easy target. But yes, there will be haters because if we're like Jesus, well, the world hated him as well. Look at 1 Peter 3, the, the 16 and 17. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Jesus' followers know that God is in control. And that we know even if it's God's will that we should suffer, we know that God will take care of us. We know God always provides and that he knows how to take care of his children. And so when we share our hope because people see the change and the difference in us, we have a good conscience knowing that we love them enough to share the truth with them. And that even though they may attack us, by our good behavior, us doing the good works that we were designed to do, guess what? They are going to see him. Jesus said, you know, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine, right? You don't hide it under a bowl. No, you let your light shine and it gives light to everyone in the house, you know. And then he goes, salt of the earth. That, that, that in the same way, let your light shine before men. That they see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. 
That's God's plan is to use us and the good works that we have been created to do that he will take that and he will make that into something that glorifies his kingdom and builds his kingdom, not ours. I, I hope, I hope I'm not the only one excited about that, about the works that he's going to do in us and through us. Even though we may not know God's full will, we know he is in control and we know he is our greatest need. That we need him above all else. That without him we are sunk. I heard a, a, um, a preacher say this about five years ago. And it has stuck with me ever since. What's our greatest need? Him. He's our greatest need. And I need him. I need him more than necessary food. I need him more than silver or gold. I need him more than my 401k. I need him more than romantic relationships. I need him more than the air that I breathe. I need him more than my treasured possessions. I need him more than my hierarchy of needs. I need him more than significance. I need him more than friends. I need him more than family. I need him more than desires. I need him more than dreams. I need him more than anything. God, I need you. You be the default setting on my mind. You be the place where my thoughts turn. You be the one thing I get right. You be the autopilot of my brain. You be my life operating system, my core, my foundation. You be my stabilizing force, my guiding principle, my ultimate value, my sweetest past memory, and my greatest future hope. You be my bedrock foundation, my first thought when I awake and the last when I drift off to sleep. You be the architect of my dreams. You be the chief controller of my heart. You be the conductor of my life symphony. You be my GPS, my compass, my map, my confidence, my strength, my comforter, my challenger, the one who captures my affections and my intellect and my will and my conscience all at the same time. You be the object and focus of my faith, the CEO of my existence. You be my first responder, my last response. You be my reality. You be the one clear word on my lips if I'm ever incoherent and drooling on myself one day. My defender, judge, provision, and my provider, my servant, my prophet, my priest, my king, my savior, my teacher, and my friend. You are my worldview, my philosophy, and my central reality, my religion, and my belief system, my hub and my deity. I was made by you and for you. I was purchased for, by you. I'm dwelling in you and you in me. In you dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. You raised me up with you. You are the reason for my existence in every way, on every level. You are the air that I breathe. You are my hope of glory. You are my Lord and my God. I need you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Thankful for your word. And Lord, we 
we know we don't have a chance without you. That apart from you, we can do nothing. And we don't even want to try. That your spirit living in us shows the difference you make in our lives. So, Father, please help us block out distractions. Help us be in tune with you, to be in step with you, to be in sync with you, to have the rhythm of your spirit, Father, permeating our lives. God, we ask this with faith in Jesus' name. And all who agree say, Amen.